Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Celtic State of Mind with me Natasha Meikle and today I'm delighted to be joined by ex-Celtic manager, Liverpool player and England internationalist John Barnes. John, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure. 
Always good to have you on the show. Um, I thought to kick off, we would talk about the pressing issue in the world of Celtic at the moment, which is that we are still without a manager, um, a job that you have previously done. So as an ex-Celtic manager, you know how difficult the job can be. And clearly Celtic find themselves in a difficult position right now with Eddie Howe having turned the job down. But something you said recently suggested that you didn't think he was perhaps the right candidate in the first place and you thought that Celtic maybe needed a Celtic man for the job at this stage. Is that something that you still think is important and where do you think Celtic go from here in their managerial hunt? Well I think it's first of all the most important thing is the harmony between the manager and the fans and the board and having a, a, a real template of how they want to move forward. Meaning that we have to know that both groups, you're talking about the owners, the, 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 the chairman, the club itself, and the manager are on the same page, which means that is a manager coming in going to demand money to spend? Are they going to rebuild? Or is there a requirements of the board that a manager comes in and works with what he has because we're not going to be spending millions and millions of pounds and they have to then compete with Rangers based on what they have? So you see, we don't know that. We don't know. So therefore, when we hear be the people being interested in the job, turning the job down not, or accepting the job, we don't know what the relationship between them is. So I could only assume because nothing is going to be said in terms of why he didn't turn the job down. Sorry, why he turned the job down or why a manager comes. But I think what has to happen, regardless of whether we know or not, is that everybody has to be put in the same direction in terms of a manager coming to the club and demanding, if that's what he wants, money to spend, to change the team, to change whatever he wants and then give him that support. Or him coming under the under the the understanding that there is not going to be a lot of money to spend, and you have to work with what you have. And I think that will de- that will then determine what kind of manager clubs. Because if you're going to get a big name manager, of which maybe Celtic fans want, he may demand certain things the board aren't willing to give. Or a, 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 a so-called lesser manager who's willing to work at the club because it's a great club and he wants to be there and work under the circumstances which we dis- which we spoke about in terms of having to work with what he has. So he's not as black and white as, you know, anyhow turn the job down for a particular reason or not for a particular reason, because this is something we don't know. It's a difficult balance and it's going to be one that's going to be pretty difficult to get right. And I think from a Celtic fan perspective, what we want now, and it's an appointment that the fans can get behind, and I think that's almost something that the board needs as well. So all the considerations that you've mentioned are going to be top of, of the list in terms of the negotiation with whoever is going to come in. But I think the board also needs to keep in mind that there's a bit of a damaged relationship between the board and the fans right now. And I think one of these big names, as we've discussed, would go some way to trying to repair that relationship. Whereas, as we've said, this sort of lesser name manager might not help that. But a big name manager, a big name manager is not going to come in unless he has those assurances. So I think just for the very nature of the manager who takes over, will let us know regardless of whether they have announced it or not in terms of money to be spent. Mm. I think that a big name manager coming in will then already have explained the fact that they are going to go big in terms of money being available for that new manager. Or a lesser manager will probably be a bit of a telltale sign as to the direction they're taking as well. Yeah, it's a bit concerning, you know, given the size of the rebuild that Celtic have in front of them. There is money needing spent on that squad, particularly if we are going to lose the players that we're rumoured to be losing in terms of the Edward and Ayer and players like that. Of course, that frees up a bit of money, but the rebuild task is big and rebuild tasks of that size cost money. So whoever manager comes in, I'd certainly be hoping that they are getting a large pot to spend. And I hope that wasn't, you know, an issue in the negotiations with 
with Eddie Howe. Well, we don't know. And um, but as much as there may be money to be to, to be spent, what Celtic have done in the past, um, because they haven't necessarily needed to spend money to continue to win, is that they may have sold big in terms of players they've sold, but they haven't had to replace them with like, and they haven't had to replace them by spending the same amount of money that they actually got for them. Now that Rangers being where they are, they may have to do that. And as to whether they're willing to do that or want to do that or are able to do that, we don't know. Only time will tell. So I think that Celtic were very fortunate in the past that even when they sold Van Dijk and sold some of the superstar players that they had, they never went out and spent that money and those salaries on on, on, on players to, that they were still able to bring in the so-called lesser players and still win. Mm-hmm. Whereas now they're not in, that, not in that state. So, I mean, as I said, only time will tell. Do you think that's a slight sign of complacency then, that um, they didn't have enough foresight to see that this issue was coming further down the line and by failing to replace like with like and constantly downgrading, if you like, do you think that's a bit of a lack of foresight and a bit of complacency by the club to fully prepare for the challenge that we saw this season? Well, it was understandable. As much as you may say it's a complacency, we've seen with Manchester City, we've seen with a lot of teams who, I won't say Liverpool because of the injury situation we've had, but we've seen it in the past. But it's understandable because when you have been so comfortable winning with whatever you've done, regardless of the players you've brought in, even if they aren't the best of the best, but they're good enough to be to you, who your nearest rivals, then Rangers, when Steven Gerrard came for the first year, they didn't really put, you know, they didn't really challenge in the first year, maybe in the second year. But you can see the investment that Rangers needed to make to be able to catch Celtic. So therefore, it's more imperative for Rangers to do that than Celtic to do that. So Celtic probably felt, what's the point of us doing that when we're still going to win, regardless of whether we do it or not, till eventually it just caught up with them. Because at the start of this season, even with what Celtic had, I expected Celtic to do much better and even to win the league. I thought Rangers would get closer. But of course, when things didn't start off particularly well, um, it was a little bit too late to try and do it then. Yeah, absolutely. And there's one thing a comparison gets drawn between us, Celtic and Liverpool this season, obviously both having achieved so much success last season for them this season to have really difficult seasons. And a lot of that gets put on injuries and the pandemic. Do you see the similarities there between the two sides having struggles outside of you know what you can control on a football pitch? No, not at all, because... If you look at the, 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 the Liverpool, Man United, Man City, Chelsea, mm-hmm. Arsenal, Tottenham squads, Liverpool haven't got the best squad. Liverpool really were not, if you, if you, if you okay, they maximise their potential to win the league. Man City have got a, a, bit, a bigger and a better squad. Man United do. So we really maximise our potential. We were not the favourites to win the league. <clears throat> we shouldn't be the favourites to win the league. But Jurgen Klopp and the players really did a fantastic job in the last two years. Whereas for Celtic, they always were the best team with the best players. So they really should have won the league. Um, maybe not this year, but in, in, in terms of what they've done in previous years. So there's there's not a similarity there at all. And there's no complacency from Liverpool's point of view. The horrendous injury situation Liverpool had on those two positions, particularly, which really affected the whole team in terms of then having to move midfield players back to play in those positions. We weren't Our squad was not, not big enough to, co- to, to, to cope with that. Whereas Celtic really, after the last two or three years, um, should really have put on a better, put up a better fight than they did. Um, yeah, year. I absolutely agree. And on paper at the start of the season, like we've touched on, if you looked at that Celtic squad, they had more than enough there to go on and win the league this year. And to well, have lost it by, yeah, and to have lost it by the margin they did is a surprise for the Celtic fans as well. I can assure you. Mm-hmm. Um, 
looking towards next season, the name that we're hearing at the moment is the next managerial appointment is Ange Postacoglu, the ex-Australian boss who's currently managing in the J-League. What do, what's your take on that sort of appointment? I know that, you know, in Scotland, perhaps the A-League, the J-League isn't something that we're overly familiar with. And as a result, a manager who's managed there is sort of thought of as a nobody and is not a big name and has achieved very little. When you look at his record, he, ha- he has achieved, albeit in, in those leagues and with Australian national team. But it's still an appointment that carries an element of risk. What do you think about him as a potential Celtic manager? Well, I think I've known about him for quite a while and he organises his team very well. I think that's what Celtic needs. They need some organisation because they still have good players. But rather than um, in the last couple of years, they didn't really need to be organised to win the league and to win the Cups because they were better than everybody else. When Rangers have now come and, and, and caught them up in terms of ability, um, you need someone who's going to be well organised. Um, and I think that you have to understand different markets because that's a bit of a telltale sign in that they're looking at the different markets in terms of maybe not spending 20 and 30 and 40 million on players, which is really what you don't, you don't necessarily need to do that if you understand where you can get good players from. You look at what Wolves have done um, with the players they bought in from Portugal and they may sell them for 40, 50 million, but they buy them for five and 10 million because he knows that market. So maybe they're looking at that to then, which is a bit of a telltale sign. They're not looking to go and, and, and spend big, but they're looking to spend wisely. And if you understand either the European market or other markets whereby you can get in good players because in this day and age, you can see that apart from in the Premier League and in the top leagues, you can buy very, very, very good players for £10 million, pounds, £5 million, pounds, which is well in within Celtic's capabilities. Mm-hmm. And if you understand those players and understand where you can get those players from, then maybe you can sell them for £40, £50 million if they do really well. But I think that's what they're looking at. Whereas I suppose from Neil Lennon's point of view, he was really looking at the local market in terms of which players he could get. Um, as well as and being a good coach, a good motivator, you know, Australians are, are, are very forthright and you need to have a big set of kahunas to, um, to, to manage up in, in Scotland, which obviously being Australian, he does. So, I mean, it could work. It could work. Yeah, and I think that's sort of the Celtic model that you've touched on there is trying to find these players from what some people might class as more obscure leagues, develop them under our own setup and then sell them for a profit. The sort of club Celtic is, that has to make up part of our model. Um and I hope that that's something that if Ange comes into the job that he, he can bring with him and certainly think outside the box a bit more in terms of signings. Um, my only concern with Postacoglu, or, or one of my concerns with Postacoglu, is that he now knows that he was the second choice. By Celtic releasing that statement about Eddie Howe, whoever steps into the job now knows that they're second choice. And not only do they know it, but the fans know it as well. So from the minute you start there's that sort of disparity and any sort of result that goes the wrong way would be looked through the lens of, well, you're not Eddie Howe. How, how does the next manager coming in overcome that? Well, of course, if you look at what's happening now <clears throat> and if all of a sudden Ange doesn't get the job and then somebody else comes in, four, four, four people down the line and it happens to be a Paul Lambert or it happens to be a big name manager because they decide to go for him, that doesn't mean that, that Ange, I'm just calling him Ange because it's difficult to pronounce it <laughs> or Eddie Howe, because I know I have to say that quite easily, (laughs) is better than him. So if they then end up getting a really big-name manager, does that mean that he's a fourth choice? It's not. You know, and as much as the the most important thing is for the fans, it doesn't matter whether you're first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth choice, the most important thing is the backing that you get from the fans and the support they give you. And that's why I would urge Celtic fans or any fans at any football club, regardless of whichever manager comes to your club, if you want your club to do well, you support him. So I don't think that that's going to be much of an issue as to whether he's the first or second or third or fourth choice. 
Yeah, absolutely. The fans will back them, whoever, whoever they are. That's sort of, you know, what the fans do up here. But you said that when you signed for Celtic or when you came up here to manage, that the fans instantly sort of questioned whether you were a risk and you said that you felt that you were then on the back foot from the start. Do you see any similarities if Postacoglu gets appointed here and, and what would your words of advice be on that? Well, not really because he has he has managed before. That was my first job. I've not done anything. So therefore, it was understandable in terms of the question marks against me. Um, whereas he has been successful. He's been a manager before and this is a, this is a different time. Um, however, I think it wasn't so much from the fans when I first came there, but it was from, from the hierarchy. Kenny was the only one who wanted me. And I felt from the first minute in terms of the, 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 the chairman, the board of directors, the people within the club um, questioned the appointment before we even played one game, before we even kicked the ball. And in fact, our first game was 16 away at Aberdeen and we've done well in the first 11 games. But these question marks were still there about my naivety, which then led me to believe, even after the first 11 games, when we lost one and one, 10 and drew one, that if we go through a bit of a sticky patch, that my, my tenure wouldn't last because I didn't feel I was getting the, the support or the trust. Um, and of course, we also went, went on to see in terms of player disunity and player disharmony that then came to the fore in December when you would think that everything was okay because we're not doing that bad. But of course, the harmony of the players is the most important thing. And there was lots of disunity and disharmony um, so that's when I knew that if I then lose one or two matches and, and, and things don't go particularly well, that I wouldn't last. So that is why I always say the harmony and the togetherness is the most important thing of everybody, from the players as well. The players have to, you know, believe that the manager is the right man for the job. So that is why in this case, um, I think that whoever takes over has to, has to be able to be given that authority to then say, I'm in charge, you do what I say. When I say jump, you jump. That's, what, that's what's needed. Talking about that sort of authority, obviously you came up here with Kenny Dalgleish and I've heard the story of you saying he phoned you up and, and said that I want you to come into this job and he was going to be technical director with you working sort of underneath him. It seems at the moment that Celtic are considering this sort of approach again with perhaps some sort of director of football, maybe Fergal Harkin coming in with a head coach or, or manager working underneath them. What, what can you tell us about how that relationship works between those two roles and how that dynamic is on at the club? Well, of course, that was the perception and that is a wrong perception. But unfortunately, everyone thought that that was a perception. You cannot have the manager, head coach being underneath anybody. It's impossible. Liverpool may have a technical director. Jurgen Klopp is not under him. Mm. The top, Jose Mourinho is not under him. The managers mm -hmm. have to be the most important person because if you have the situation, and that's what people thought, mm. of the head coach, whatever you want to call him, the mm -hmm. manager being underneath somebody that, that works against the manager, the head coach or the manager because the players will then see that, the fans will see that, the... Mm. The, 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 the press will see that and they'll say who is really making the decisions mm -hmm. and that cannot happen so you cannot mm -hmm. have a situation whereby one is, well if the technical director is going to be under the manager that's fine but you cannot have the manager or the head coach being under even by the very nature of talking about him being under him means he's less important than him um, so that has to be addressed and in most clubs that is addressed the technical director is there to work <laughs> behind the scenes to help the manager to either get players or whatever but in terms of talking about who is the man in charge, it always has to be the manager or the head coach and that has to be made plain from day one. Do you feel that that happened when, when you were in as, as manager or was there an issue about authority and who was in charge between you and Kenny? At the club, 
There was not because Kenny knew that me being the head coach, I have to make all those decisions. Mm. But the outside uh, perception mm-hmm. from the press, even from the players at times, felt that, well, you know, I'm not the man in charge. Kenny's the man in charge. And once the players start to see that or believe that, no matter what I said, um, and that's why I felt really bad for Kenny in many respects, because there are times when I really wanted to involve Kenny more and bring him in, but I knew the situation in terms of the way that the fans view this perception. So if I then brought Kenny in to then even come to the training ground room to speak, that would undermine me even more, because they already thought that I'm not in charge. Kenny's the man in charge. And as I said, if you're going to be the head coach, the first team manager, the first team, whatever you want to call him, the Jurgen Klopp, the, the, the Eddie Howe, you have to be the man in charge. You can be willing to work with a, a technical director in terms of signings and off the field and things like that. But I think that everybody has to know, the players and everybody has to know that you are the most important person in the, from, from, a, from, a, from the playing perspective, not from the long-term vision of the club in terms of players, even players coming into the club. It didn't bother me. I didn't mind who came in from a signings point of view. If Kenny had more of an input into the signings, that was fine. But once the tactics are you on the training field or you are then talking to the players and you are the man in charge, it has to be the head coach or the manager. That's probably something that Celtic will need to get right, not only in terms of on the pitch and at the club, but in terms of perception then, because certainly the perception at the moment and what's been played out in the media is that Fergal Harkin would be this director of football and then whoever is the coach would be underneath him. And I suppose that would undermine the authority of anyone coming in if that's the sort of perception outside of the club, regardless of what's happening on the pitch. So I think that's something that Celtic would need to get right very quickly and make it very clear that if it is Postacoglu coming in that he is very much 110% in charge. You see when things are going well it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. If things are always going well and you have a, a, a head coach manager, whatever you want to call him <clears throat> who who is seen as being second in command to the technical director but you're winning the league and winning matches, that's not an issue. Then all of a sudden when you stop winning matches and then all of a sudden things aren't going particularly well, the manager or the head coach who is seen as the one who's not really making the decisions, he's the one who's going to bear the brunt of the criticism and even from the players, you know, so therefore, unconsciously, the players will never do it, but unconsciously, they will say, well, he's not really in charge anyway. And that is why, you look at when I left and Martin O'Neill came, he was given full autonomy of the club to make any decision mm-hmm. he wanted and he was the top man. And you can see that that has to happen. That's the, that, that, that's the principle. So, I think from Celtic's point of view, once again, a telltale sign as the direction of the club would also be the manager that comes in. Mm-hmm. Because if Jose Mourinho comes into Celtic, we know what the situation is. He's in charge. He's making the, all the decisions. And she's a, and I apologize for keep calling him, and Poster Dronglu. Um, that's an interesting one because I know he's a very strong character and he makes certain demands. And Australians are like that anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what, what will be important is for him to start well because, mm-hmm. first of all, um, there will there will be the, the, the perception and a bit of negativity because he's not a big name and he's from Australia for what he know. But if he starts well and wins all the games, then that will quickly um, go by the wayside. Whereas if he doesn't start off well, those unconscious biases, which we will then talk about later mm-hmm. on we'll talk about a different subject, will come to the fore as the unconscious bias came to the fore with me um, in terms of my capabilities when things weren't going well. Um, I've, I've never said that Celtic fans didn't want me to succeed. Of course they wanted me to succeed and they wanted to support me. But as things, as, as soon as things go wrong, go wrong, they're quicker to question you than they would have questioned somebody else. Mm. Um, and I think that Andrew will have that, that problem as well. If things don't go well straight away, um, the question mark as to whether, because obviously he's Australian and he's not, you know, managing the big time, whether he'd be the right man for the job. 
I think that's it. And I think that the one thing that fans might need to have with this sort of appointment is patience. And you know as well as anyone that in the world of football, especially in Glasgow, there is very little patience for things not going well. Something that you... There's, patience, there's, patience, there's more patience for some people than others. Mm. There's patience yeah, for years of the that is certainly, yeah. Two years, he was two twenty points off the top, but we had the patience and the trust and the belief that it would happen. Had that been somebody else, maybe it wouldn't have happened. So, and I think that obviously there would be more patience for a big name manager from Europe, um, mm-hmm. from a Western European country, than there would be French. But that, yeah, that, that, the patience will be determined on, on as to who the more patience for someone like Paul Lambert, possibly, you know, because he's a local here as well. So, uh, unfortunately, these these are the times we live in, and we have to get on with that. Do you think that's perhaps something we saw with Neil Lennon, obviously a, a Celtic hero in terms of his playing career, first time round as manager, did extremely well. Do you think perhaps the board stuck with him a little bit longer than they might have otherwise because of who he was and what he meant to the club and his stature at the club? Yeah, I don't think, I, I wouldn't say that they've stuck with him longer than they should because I always believe in supporting the managers all the way. Mm-hmm. But I think they've stuck with him longer than they would have other managers with the same results, um, which is the right thing to do until you decide then that really this isn't the way forward which and, and and they were right to do that because there was no point in my opinion after christmas after january getting rid of neil lennon because a new manager coming in would not have reversed that situation with the players they had the the, the way they were at that particular time in the if you may say complacency whatever the reason was they were never going to turn it around with a new manager to then catch rangers mm-hmm. neil lennon would have would, was as good as any other manager including Jose Mourinho, to catch rangers at that time either doing it or not doing it. And and even towards the last six weeks of the season, there was no point in doing that because why bring a new manager in then to do what? A, mm-hmm. confidence isn't there, the harmony is not there. He will then start off next season on a bit of a low because I don't think all of a sudden results would have necessarily picked up that much. Or would you have taken a chance on that? Yes, they could have picked up, but if it didn't, he would have started the new season on a negative vibe because you, know, you were there last year for the last 10 games and he didn't do much. It would have been quite negative with his own players coming in at the start of the season, with a new manager and a new season, that is what a manager wants. So they were 100% right to, to stick with Neil Lennon right until the end. Now that we're in the summer and looking at transfer targets and things like that, there is going to be a big turnover, apparently, if we the players that are going out do eventually leave the club. There's going to be a lot of new players coming in and needing sort of bedded into a squad. During your time as manager, you signed players like Stan Petrov and Bobby Petta, and they obviously turned out to be excellent signings for the club, real top players. But... That wasn't quite the case at the start, was it? They needed patience, the fans needed to give them time. And my worry is something we've touched on before is that they're, the fans are demanding instant change at Celtic right now. You've been there and experienced it. How important is patience going to be, both in terms of the players that come in and the manager that comes in? First of all, let me tell you, any player going to Celtic, any player going to Rangers, any player going to any Premier League club are good players. You're not a bad player if you go to clubs like that. You are a good player. Not only do you need patience, more importantly, you need support. Mm. That's what you need. And it's not so much the patience um, that worked against me or Bobby or, or Stan Petrov. It's the lack of support because I had signed them. Mm. There was a, a bit of an agenda to any players I had signed because I had signed them. And by then, the tide had turned to people questioning every decision I took. So when I signed Stylian Petrov or, or Bobby Petrov, I knew they were good players. But they couldn't play because they were being booed when, when, I, when I picked them because I had signed them. So I remember even speaking to, to, to Stan and Bobby, and some, sometimes they didn't want to play because the fans were against them without even giving them a chance, not because of what they had done, but because I had signed them. And of course, when Martin O'Neill came, then all of a sudden he embraced them 
They weren't. They, they didn't improve all of a sudden. They always had that potential to do that if they were given the right support and the right love and, and, and yes, time, but support was more important. So um, I think that that's going to be important uh, moving forward for Celtic now, that whoever comes in, whoever he signs, has to be given, you know, the support. Yes, listen, they're not, whoever comes to Celtic isn't going to be a bad player. Whoever comes, whereas if they're given the right support, then they can show, up, show their worth. Do you think that's something Celtic didn't do this season was give enough support to some of the players we signed? I'm talking about players like Albi and Ayeti, Patrick Klamala, Barkas. These players came in costing, you know, three, four, five million and didn't really get a shot. I mean, you're saying they're not bad players coming to Celtic. The Celtic fans thought these players were bad players um, and maybe they didn't get enough time and they didn't get the support to show what they could do. Well, the, the, the support comes with results. So of course, if they started well and played well and everything's going well, they would have supported them and said how great they were. Um, and we've seen so often. Um, you look at Moise Keane, for example, leaving Everton and doing well where, where, at the where he's going to at Paris Saint-Germain. And, and it, so you, therefore, he's not a bad player. You have to find the right environment that suits you and you have to be given that support. Um, so unfortunately for them, because Rangers started off so well, and of course, what happened at Celtic, me included, uh, always felt, oh, it's a matter of time before it turns around. It's a matter of time. So, okay, Rangers are seven, five points ahead. Okay, they're seven points ahead. Okay, they're nine points ahead. We're going to catch them. We've got three games to go. Gone into that way of, of, of playing. And the difficult thing for Celtic, it's a little bit like a black like Paris Saint-Germain, whereby when it's been so easy for you over the years, it's an unconscious way, um, subliminal way of then feeling that we just have to turn up to win. And then all of a sudden, when it turns out that, no, 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 you can't do that, you have been so used to not having to give 100%. In your mind, you are, because I will never accuse any player of not trying. But when it's been so easy for you for the last five, six, seven years, then all of a sudden you get a little bit of a competition because Rangers are now stronger than they are. Can you then turn it around to all of a sudden perform? I say it's a bit like Paris Saint-Germain because when they're playing so easily in the league, as much as they finished second this year, but over the last five, six, seven years, when it's so easy for you in the league to win matches, you don't even have to perform. Then all of a sudden you're playing in the quarterfinals of the Champions League against the Bayern Munich. Can you then switch it on and switch it off? And you can't do that. You have to play hard all the time. And I suppose that's really what happened to Celtic. And no matter how much you can prepare for that, in terms of saying, don't let this happen, the fact is you're winning games 3 and 4 nil without even trying. So therefore, how are you going to get that level of consistency when all of a sudden you come under pressure to play at the highest level? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But I want to move on now to something that you've spoken a lot about in the past and that we've touched on already today, which is unconscious bias. It's something that I've done a good amount of work on in my legal career as an employment lawyer. I did a lot of training on unconscious bias and trying to make people acknowledge that everyone has it and try and coach that within them to avoid discrimination in the workplace. That was the angle that I worked at it in. But your example um, that you've used before in the past is that a white manager would get longer in the job than a black manager because of this unconscious bias people have. And I think certainly in the last few months, what we're seeing is football and wider sport trying harder, if you like, to tackle the racism issue that exists. But from your perspective, do you think we're seeing any progression? Is any of this are taking the knee, anything like that? Is it working? It can't work. <clears throat> How can you just all of a sudden change hundreds of years of conditioning that we have concerning gay people, women, black people? And, and of course, from a Muslim perspective, it's only since 9-11. So that shows you about how unconscious bias works because Muslims may not have gone through this 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 discrimination before 9-11. Now you can see how it happens. Just by saying we're going to take a knee or we're going to ban it from social media. 
and what we're doing is completely it's, it's completely impossible for us to, to turn things around by doing what we're doing all we're doing is highlighting the problem by saying we are against this but what is the solution to us moving forward now to give you an example just in terms of the it's the marketer's report this week patrizia spagnoletto global chief marketing officer direct consumer for warner brothers discovery weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar text the word grade to 32 32 32 right now hooked on phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day for more than 30 years hooked on phonics has been the proven learn to read program that kids love to use text grade to 32 32 32 and teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed text grade to 32 32 32 right now and get started for just one dollar text grade to 32 32 32 now text grade to 32 32 32 social media social media blackout what two months ago things are getting worse Has that worked why do we feel that we can just do something like say we're not going to go on social media because i'm a black superstar people are going to stop being unconsciously biased racially biased or sexist if a woman then decides the high profile woman then comes off because you can see what is actually happening is that take marcus rashford for example now he missed a couple he missed ch- chances against um villarreal so he's getting racist abuse had he scores those chances you know what would have happened he wouldn't get racist abuse. So those people who racially abused him, who wouldn't racially abuse him had he scored, does that mean if he scored, they wouldn't be racially biased? Yes, they would, but there would be no reason for them to do it, so therefore they would still be racially biased, but we wouldn't see it. So what we can do, pass laws to then say we can pass laws to then say we won't see it, but that's not going to change things because there's always ways of people making you know that they're dis- discriminating against you. The unseen Racism, sexism, homophobia is much worse than the obvious ones. So what we're doing is actually, it's not counterproductive. In fact, in many respects, it is counterproductive because we're trying to convince the world that we're changing because people are taking the knee and we're going to boycott social media. Whereas things for 99% of people don't get any better, but we convince convince ourselves that they are getting better because of the so-called work we're doing to fight against it. So it's it's a waste of time as far as I'm concerned. Do you think there's a wider societal issue rather than, you know, we're talking about sports people sort of tackling this head on and knee in sport and things like that. But do you think it's a, a wider societal issue that we're seeing not only discrimination instead of race, but sexism? And, and how do we fix that if it is the societal issue? Of course it's a societal issue. 
racism, sexism, and homophobia is long around long before football. And why do we believe we cannot take any industry, be it football, be it banking, be it the media, we cannot take any industry out of society and say we're going to fix it in here, but it exists in society. Because before you're a football fan or a football player, you know what you are? You're a member of society. Football, um, the media, that is a small part of society. So therefore, we have to tackle it in society first. Then it will then filter down into all walks of society. We're trying to do it the other way around. We're trying to separate football and say, if we get rid of it in football, then society will be okay. It's the other way around. We have to tackle it in society because it is a societal issue. Because before you are a racially biased football fan, for the seven, six days of the week, then you are who you are. So for 90 minutes at a football stadium, you can do what you do and people think it's a football issue. Just to use an example, you can see, I don't know if you know Amy Cooper. Amy Cooper was the, the, the white liberal woman in Central Park who called the man on, called the police, yes. the man who told her to put a dog on the lead. Now, Amy Cooper is a, 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 a liberal, left-wing, Obama-supporting, Trump-hating woman who, if that didn't happen, she would have been on the front line for Black Lives Matter. But in times of stress and confrontation, unconsciously, how we have been conditioned to think about women, gay people, black people, for hundreds of years, as much as we think we have been around for hundreds of years, we've been influenced by what we see every day on the television and what we read and, 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 and everything we do, to then feel that these people are inferior, could be a woman, could be a, women in football, referees. Do we believe that female referees are the same as male referees? No, we don't. But it's only the ones who get caught by shouting out. We point the finger at them and say, they are the problem. But we all, so we have to look at ourselves. Amy Cooper, the other woman now, Sean or whatever her name is, the drunk woman, I don't know if you saw it on social media, who was racially abusing the doorman. Mm -hmm. And she said, I had a black friend and I went out with black guys. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We are all biased, racially sexist, because of the way we've been conditioned. And until we're going to accept that within ourselves, we can always point the finger at the ones who get caught and say, oh, it's a problem with them, but we're okay, so nothing will change. Yeah, no, I definitely accept the point. And the work I've done on it's told me that everyone has unconscious bias and anyone who thinks they don't, I would only encourage them to go on and, and do one of these unconscious bias tests that you can find easily online. Take it and it shows you that there is something ingrained within you that you do have a bias one way or another about, about everything in life. Um, so anyone who does... You have a sectarianism. And I know a lot of these kids are being up there and, and, and these young Rangers and Celtic young five and six year olds who are saying things and they don't even know what it means mm -hmm. because that's the way they have been conditioned. And of course, they will then grow up believing that because that's the way they've been conditioned to think. Mm -hmm. So if it's so obvious, if it's so obvious, why can't we accept that from a racial point of view? And I'll use English, white English or British managers as an example, because if you look at the top five teams, the top five teams in England, Apart from Frank Lampard, who had that special relationship with Chelsea, we're going to get foreign managers because the perception is that they're better. Because we have been conditioned to think that foreign managers are better. Now, if we accept that, because David Moyes will say the same thing, Sam Allardyce, if, the, if we accept that from even from a white perspective, that white British managers aren't going to be given opportunities at the top five clubs, why is it hard to accept that from a black perspective, that black managers aren't being given opportunities? Because it's, it's, it's and knowing the history of discrimination and racism, I think it is, it is, it is so obvious. Yeah, something that you said last year, which I feel was taken out of context by the Celtic fans, and you've since tried to clear up, is that the Celtic fans accused you of saying that you were sacked by Celtic because you were a black manager and a white manager wouldn't have been sacked in the same position. Yeah. But I think what you were trying to say is simply that there's an unconscious bias exists that means that white managers seem to get longer yeah, yeah. time. They will, be, they will be sacked. We can see in football managers are being sacked. But there are very few black managers who would last longer. And, and, and you know that the white manager will be sacked, obviously. But even in the Neil Lennon situation, 
You can see that situation where, for whatever reason, and I believe it's the right thing to do, don't get me wrong. And you can look at Tottenham's appointment of Ryan Mason. You have Ledley King, who's been there working in the first team with George Mourinho as an assistant for two, two, for two years. You have um, Chris Powell, who's been a manager for four or five years, and they give the job to Ryan Mason because he's an under, and he managed the under-23s for one year. Now, people look at the clubs and say, oh, it's a disgrace to the clubs. It's nothing to do with the club because the club know that Ryan Mason may give him that opportunity. Even if he loses every match, there's not going to be a question mark as to the capabilities because Ryan Mason will go on and get a good job somewhere in the lower divisions, regardless of whether he's successful or not, because Tottenham has seen fit to put their trust in him. So therefore, a championship club is going to go. They won't say, look, he never won any matches. He wasn't great. The club have had faith in him, so therefore we're going to have faith in him. Had that been Ledley King or Chris Powell and had the same results, they never got a job in the lower divisions because of the perception, unconscious perception of, are they the right people for the job in the first place? And this is what we have to analyze. And football is no different to any other industry. You can look at the higher echelons of any industry, and this is what happens. The same with women. The same thing with women. The same thing with gay people. So this is a problem. And also, from that point of view of, uh, of me, and I'm not talking about me, and I'll talk about Celtic. I'm talking about every black manager who there has been. And let's talk about the solution. So the Rooney Rule. The Rooney Rule came into, into existence in America um, 25 years ago, 20, 25 years ago, because there were three black coaches in, uh, in American football. 25 years later, millions and millions of pounds are spent on the Rooney Rule. How many black managers are there? Three. There are no more. So that hasn't helped. Passing laws doesn't help. You have to change people's perception because... It's been illegal to steal and kill for thousands of years. Are people not stealing and killing anymore? You can, there are always ways around the laws. So there are ways around the laws. There are ways around the Rooney Rule. There's ways about um, ways around positive discrimination, about quotas. There are always ways around it. So until we then stop saying, start saying we have to then start to change people's perceptions of black people, of women, of gays, of, Engli of English football managers. Tell you, here's unconscious bias. When, from Bill Shankly's time, to, to Bob Paisley, to, to Bill Shankly, Kenny Dalgish, Alex Ferguson. You remember when it was popular to be a Scottish as a manager? <laughs> Everyone wanted Scottish managers. In the 70s and 80s, you could get a Scottish manager because, and he'll be given more time, more support than English managers because Scotsmen make good managers. <laughs> now, all of a sudden, where, where are the good Scottish managers? They're exactly the same place, but the perception of them have changed and the perception of their capabilities have changed. So even that, from a, for an example, then all of a sudden Rafa Benitez did well. Everyone wanted Spanish managers. <laughs> After Gerald Huda, everyone wanted French managers, and they were given longer. So from a foreign manager point of view, you mentioned Ange. Mm -hmm. We're very quick to accept managers from abroad more than our own managers. Forget black. I'm talking about in Scotland, mm -hmm. if Ange gets the job, or a Scotsman you've never heard of, as much as, you know, who may have been working somewhere, Ange will mm -hmm. give you more time because of the perception of, of foreign managers are better, even if they are Australian. So these are the unconscious biases and the influences that we've had building up over the, over the years that we have to address. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think education for me is probably the way to deal with this rather than legislation, which you've touched on as having not worked in the past. Is that something you would agree with? Well, it depends on what education you're talking about, mm. because the most important thing that has made us feel the way we do about ourselves and different groups of people are history. Mm. So the history of of Britain, history of Germany, history of France, tells us who we are. So therefore, a lot of people feel, that's why I've always wondered, how can, um, and this is not a football fan, this is a, a, a made-up football fan in my own mind. Yeah? So, he hasn't got a job. He's stupid. He's not passed any exams. Yeah? Mm -hmm. He's white. Mm -hmm. Why does he feel more important 
than a black footballer who's a millionaire, educated, if you have to be educated, this, this player. Why does he feel superior to him to feel that he can disenfranchise him by? You know why? Because people like him are more important than people like the black footballer. Why? Because this is what he has been told about the history of people from Europe, people from England, and Scots people go through a similar thing whereby, you know, they feel that people from England feel superior because of the history that they've been told about themselves. So this is what we have to challenge. It's not personal. It's not an individual um, it's not an individual battle between that white racist and that black footballer, because if it was, that black footballer is getting in his Rolls Royce going to his multi-million pound house to go into the best clubs and the best restaurants, mm. whereas he's in the bus home. But he still feels superior. What can make him feel superior? The history that he has learned about people like him. And that is that, so therefore, that, and that history that he's learned is wrong in terms, mm. of, in terms of the moral and intellectual racial hierarchy that we have been conditioned to believe based on two, three hundred years ago. So therefore, that's why people, that's the education I'm talking about. Not the education that we won mm -hmm. the war with Winston Churchill was better than everybody else, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so therefore, that's why you have to look at the nuances and the complexities behind elitism, capitalist elitism, as well as race, class, because we have a situation in, in, in Scotland from a class perspective, or from a perspective of when Glasgow was the ninth prime capital of the world, not of the world, of Britain, yeah, and there were mainly white kids stabbing white kids, but it wasn't seen as a white issue, was it? They weren't saying because they're white, it's because of the inner city and, and the poverty, which is what, and, that, and that's what the situation is. Whereas when they're black kids stabbing each other in London, oh, it's a black problem when black kids are violent and black kids because they're black. So these are, these are the conditioning elements that we, we've, all been, we've all been influenced by. And it's, it's a long way. And it's, it's too mm. simple to then say, right, we're going to tackle racism. Why? Because we're all born the same. We're all the same. So that's the education we're going to say. If you get racist abuse, go and tell the teacher, everything will be okay. We have to tackle the victims. And you know who the victims are as well? The racists. Mm. They're the victims because of what they have been conditioned to think mm -hmm. about. Themselves. They're also victims. These young kids who are talking about sectarianism, that six, seven-year-old boy who's shouting mm -hmm. at a Rangers fan or a Rangers fan is shouting yeah, at terrible. Kid, he's a victim. Mm -hmm. We just think the victims are the ones who are getting the abuse. The ones who are, 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 are perpetrating the abuse, they're victims of the lies they've been told about themselves as well. And that's what we have to also examine. Yeah, no, I think that's very interesting. It's an interesting discussion that we could have for hours and hours. Um, and it's great for you to come and talk to us about it. But given, you know, timings, we don't have hours and hours as much as I would like to sit and talk about this longer with you. Um, I want to move on to talk about something else, and that's your playing career. Um, yeah. to taking it back to football. Before you would have gone on to, come on, playing career, that's not important. I thought they were going to go on to the ESL and, and Celtic and Rangers coming into the English League. I thought that's Let's talk about it then. Let's go there. Let's talk about that because that's on the list too. I scored some goals and I won player of the year. It wasn't that great, but blah, blah, blah. But that's not important. We'll skip <laughs> it then. I want to talk about this because this is very much... A, 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 yeah, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. And I'll tell you what I want to talk great. about because mm -hmm. I mentioned elite capitalism um, about people, those who have and those who don't have. And if you want to talk about it, first of all, I'll get onto this. The, the, this, this, the, and when I was in, there was mute, mute, muted the... the Atlantic League and Celtic and Rangers joining the Atlantic League with teams from Holland and Belgium and this whole kind mm -hmm. of elite organization, which, you know, people are talking about. And that's what the ESL was. Because, um, first of all, you cannot change an you cannot change a system from within. For the last 400 years, we've been living in an elite capitalist system and people understand you cannot change that from within. 
Why I say that is from a black perspective, we're talking about getting black people to positions of power and changing the system. You can't, you never could. American Revolution, French Revolution, any revolution, you had the problems up in Scotland with Barney Prince, Charlie, whatever his name was, Robert the Bruce, working within an existing system to change things for yourself you can't do. So why I compare that to what we're trying to do as black people getting into the system to change it, I'll use the ESL as an example. Real Madrid, Barcelona, let's do Real Madrid, um, Perez, Edward Wood at Manchester United, um, Agnelli at Juventus. These are the most powerful men in UEFA. They work with UEFA, but they know to change the system for the betterment of ourselves in terms of them wanting more, Mm-hmm. Because they feel that they want more than the other European teams because it's all about them. And in many respects, it is because that's why the sponsor are interested. They know we cannot work within this system and affect change. So therefore, what do we have to do? We have to leave the system and start mm-hmm. something new. And people were up in arms because it was terrible, blah, blah, blah. But let's go back to 1992 when the Premier League started, when Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham, Manchester United and Everton wanted to break away from the Football mm-hmm. League. And they did. And they were, everyone was up in arms. It's a disgrace. You can't do that. They invited the other 15 teams to join us. And the other 15 teams said, thank you very much. We're going to be part of this elite group. We're going to make more money than everybody else in the first division, the second division, and the third division because we're now the Premier League. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio is a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. So therefore, some money will trickle down, but it's all going to be about us. And people said, what a happy day for football. The first division which is now the championship, said, well, now we're the top division of the Football League. We want more than the second and third division, but we can't get it within the Football League because we're part of an existing structure. So what do we have to do? We've got to break away and become the championship. So therefore, we become the championship. So therefore, some money will filter down, but it's all about us. That's the elite organization and the elite system we live in. And this is exactly the same. This is what has to happen. That all of a sudden, David Moyes mentioned it. It'll be great. Straight after the ESL, Celtic and Rangers coming down to, to, to the to the... British mm-hmm. League, a new British League. Now, what what does he want? Does he want the champions of the first and second place team in Scotland to join a new British League? Or does he want Celtic and Rangers? Now, you may say they may win. So, Celtic and Rangers is not elitist. It's about, you know, the top two teams in Scotland coming down. Mm-hmm. Aberdeen came first and St. Johnson came second. Do they come in instead of Celtic and Rangers? Mm-hmm. No. And secondly, then, if it's going to be the top two teams in Scotland coming into the Premier League, you then get the top two teams in Wales and the top two teams in Northern Ireland come to the Premier League. Mm. Oh, they're only small teams. It's Carnarvon and Bala. And it's like, well, hang on a second. This is about creating a British league whereby the top two teams in every country comes in. But no, or is it just the Celtic and Rangers? This is the elite system that we all live under, that we're trying to pretend it's about the fans and it's about good for Scottish football if Celtic and Rangers came down because the money will filter down. And it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be. And this is exactly like racism. Mm-hmm. It's exactly racism about an elite group of people because, you know, 
you have some black elites who are benefiting from the system, who are pretending to criticize the system for the masses and for the people down below, well, they're just be making it better for themselves. And that is what Celtic and Rangers coming out to England would be for. Great for Celtic and Rangers, fans all over the world. It'd be great for teams to go up to play in Celtic Park. And to, but that's not going to help the rest of Scottish football. As much as they would say it'd be good for it, it wouldn't be good for it. I think what the, the fans of, you know, Scottish football would say is if they got rid of Celtic and Rangers, does that make them a more competitive league? If you take the top two out of it, it is a two-horse race, if you take the top two out of it, does that then allow it to be a more competitive league, which then it grows it, on itself? Yes, it makes it a more competitive league. Do you think the sponsors are going to be interested in it? Because That's the issue. There. Yeah, which then yeah. means, do you think the best players who play for those teams are going to be mm. interested in staying there? Or can they then come down to play for Celtic and Rangers or come down to England? What do you think would happen to the quality? Yes, it would be more competitive because then Johnson and other people would be able to win. But in terms of the sponsorship then, all the money would be taken out because sponsors aren't interested in Scottish football unless Celtic and Rangers are involved. And from a playing perspective, all the best players for those top clubs, do you think they're going to stay there rather than coming down to the new British League? So as much as no. we make it more competitive, um, it won't be good for, for Scotland. Unless you're going to then say, because don't forget, we are still part of, and then and then international football. What will happen to the Scottish national team? You would then, because Europe hates the fact that you've got England, Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales, four organisations politically, then that will be a precursor to then saying you're going to have to have a Great Britain team. Now, a Great Britain team would have Andy Robertson in the squad. Are people in Scotland going to support a Great British team with one or two Scottish players in it? Will Wales support a Great British team on Northern Ireland with no Welshman in it, because Gareth Bell's too old now, and no Northern Ireland, Northern Irish players in it? So it's much bigger. It is still it is still looking at it just from an elite perspective. Yeah, we're see, we're actually seeing that in the Team GB that the women's uh, league have put together, which is essentially the England squad with two Scottish players and one Welsh player who are likely to spend the majority of the tournament on the bench. So that would be the key concern if the men's football was ever to go. But you know the what's happened way. with that? What's happened with that is before there's always been a GB women's team, which has been fine. And most people have supported it. Scottish people have supported it. But once you then have created the clubs, the Celtic women's team, the Rangers women's team, the Liverpool women's team, that is when all of a sudden the obvious nature of then Scottish women playing for Celtic and Rangers, but they're not playing for Great Britain. Should we support that? Before you had this Celtic and Rangers team, I'm sure people in Scotland would have supported GB, even with no Scottish people, girls in it, um, when they played in the in the in the in the you know the Olympics or whatever it was. But once you then have the identity of a Celtic and Rangers women's football team, but none of them are going to play for GB. Why am I going to support Great Britain? Mm. To going back to the European Super League, obviously there are benefits in it and you, you've drawn some comparisons to when the Premier League was originally founded. I think for the fans and what we saw for the, from the fans, like the Man United fans, the Liverpool fans, was this sense that the, the identity of the club was being taken away from them, that this is a club set up for you know working class fans 100 years ago that's now being exploited by rich owners whose only interest is to get richer and these fans are used as background noise for, for TV deals that they're going to sell across the world. I think that that's happened the... in 92. That happened in 1992 when rich owners started to come into football clubs. And isn't that what the fans wanted? Did the fans not want a rich audience? Do the New Newcastle fans not want Saudi Arabians to come and buy them mm. now? And do you not feel do you not feel when these rich owners come and they become billionaires because they don't listen to what a man who mm. who, who, who works as a postman thinks? And then all of so we want them to come. And we want them to spend money and we want them to pay a hundred million pounds for players. We want them to give them 10 million pounds a year. But when they do things to make that money, we then say we don't want you to do that because it's our club. You can't have it both. 
Yeah. You can't in both ways. No, I think I think that's quite right. And certainly in Scotland, where the, that money doesn't exist and we don't have the rich owners, you'd ask a lot of the fans up here and we would say that we we wouldn't want that. <laughs> then you to buy them and say, let's buy a player for £50 million so we're going to win the league. Celtic fans would say, no, we don't want that. There's, there's certainly a core of Scottish football fans who say that they don't want Scottish football corrupted by the sort of money and power we're seeing in English football. Whether in practice, if that was the case, we, we don't know. We don't know. One second. One second. Celtic mm. are now where they are. Rangers are now there. So, for this, all the Celtic fans, a multi-millionaire is going to come and buy Celtic and say, we're going to buy Messi, we're going to buy Ronaldo, we're going to win the league, we're going to go win the Champions League. We're going to say, no, we don't want that because we want it to be fair. We want it's it to be with a chance. That is, that, that is crazy. It doesn't mm. exist. It does not exist. And that is what that is why they were, so, they were sold a lie on the ESL, all of the football fans. Mm. Because now for Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Tottenham, for these fans to then say, we don't want this to happen because we want it to be fairer for the Everton's and the Leicester's to, to be able to compete with us rather than us making so much money we can actually win the league every year, get more money than everybody else, get the best players. We think it's unfair. Do you think fans are like that? How do you think Manchester came into existence? They were sold a lie because this was an attack. The ESL was an attack on the European Champions League, not on the mm-hmm. Premier League. Fans thought they wouldn't be playing in the Premier League. Fans thought they wouldn't be playing in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. We don't want to leave the Premier. You're not leaving the Premier League. No, the Premier League would not have been affected one iota. This what would have suffered is the European Champions League, because then the Champions League they would have left the Champions League to start this new league. The Champions League would have had teams like Rosenberg, with all due respect, Galatasaray, and mm-hmm. then so then and do you think the sponsors would have been interested in that? So this would have taken off from the Champions League. Sky, who were the, the, the fighters of this, would have mm. pushed this whole thing about other people because Amazon or Google would have come in, paid them millions. Sky would have been not showing a big game. That is why it was. This mm. is about an elite group trying to take mm. over from an elite group. It's nothing to do with the fans, nothing to do with the masses, and they convinced them that it was for their benefit. Secondly, and the last thing I want to say about this is when mm-hmm. the fans said, okay, the Premier League would have taken the back seat because what you would have done is pay the first team in, the, in, the, in, in this Champions League you're playing Champions League football throughout the year anyway, so you still have Champions League football, and you would have been playing less games in this than in the Champions League, which would have meant it's easier for you in the Premier League. But when they said they would have played the first team players in this and not the Premier League, do you think English fans, or even if Celtic and Rangers were involved, mm. do you think the top clubs, their fans, would have put up with them playing their top team in the Champions League every now and again? Sorry, this new ESL. Mm-hmm. But when they play against Southampton and these teams, they would have been losing because they're playing a weakened team, finishing ninth in England, mm-hmm. where every single week you want to have that one-upmanship over you or over your, everybody else in the country. You think the fans would have put up with them finishing ninth in the, in the league because to, to win the ESL? And secondly, why they wouldn't have needed to do that is because there's no promotion and relegation into this league. So if you're playing in this ESL and you're making hundreds of millions, regardless of whether you win or you lose, why don't you play your reserves in that? You can't get demoted, mm. you can't get relegated, you're going to make the money, and then you can save your players for the Premier League, whereby you can keep them fresh and win the Premier League. This whole thing was a mm-hmm. con and a lie to the fans as to the, the merits of it. Now, what did what did Jurgen Klopp, Jurgen Klopp and Guardiola say straight after, two days after it was now stopped? They said, we don't have the Champions League. Too many teams coming in. There are six more teams. They don't have the Champions League. So there will be some change. And this is what this mm. was. It was an attack on the Champions League, not the Premier League. At least I hope the one positive we can take from it is that it might cut, encourage change. Um, it needs change. It's, it's clear about that. And 
we heard during it, you know, the president of UEFA and things like that coming out and saying that they value teams like Celtic and Rangers and Ajax and Galatasaray. That, for a Celtic fan, that's where the lie continues because they don't. If they did value having these teams in the Champions League, they wouldn't put so many hurdles in our way to get there in terms of three qualifiers to far-flung destinations as the champions of Scotland. Absolutely. It's a lie. It's an elite lie. And while they're trying to make people feel good, it's trying to say the fans have the power. You know, if the fans had the power, what they would do? They would say, stop changing your kit every year where I've got to spend £150 on a kit for my three kids. If I had the power, I'm not doing that. £1,500 for season tickets. I can't afford to go to the games. If the fans mm-hmm. have power, why don't they stop that? Mm-hmm. They haven't. But they're trying to kid the fans that they have power. The politicians, instead of Boris Johnson then having to be accountable for his £58,000 he spent on his flat, he then said, I'm going to have a fan commission and, a, and an independent regulatory body. Well done, Boris. We're going to... So everyone forgets about the problems he's having. This is, it's, just, it's just deflecting. It is just deflecting. And the, all these issues surrounding it, once again, is about two elite groups fighting for the power to exploit the fans. Not to give the fans more. It's, so therefore, it's maybe the Premier League, it may be the Champions League, it may be this new ESL. It's just about who has the power to exploit the fans. And then we'll yeah. use the fans to think they have power. And why the fans feel good is that all of a sudden, yes, the authorities are now listening to us. So we're going to ban, let's ban the six Premier League teams. You ban those six Premier League teams from the Premier League, the money comes out of it straight away. Where do you think the sponsors are interested in? Do you not think they're... In fact, I would say to them, you know what? You ban these six teams. Please ban them and Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. And you know what? Throw Celtic and Rangers in and ban them as well because they may have joined and give them to me, John Barnes. And I will talk out this new league of me taking them around the world to make millions for them because this is what people around the world are interested in. They're not interested in anybody else. So you ban them. So they were never going to ban them. Secondly, FIFA, let's ban the players who are going to take part in this from the World Cup. Oh, so the sponsors are going to be interested mm. in the world. Messi, Ronaldo, Kane, Lewandowski, all the best players. I said, give them to me once again, and I'll sort out my own World Cup. So what they're trying to convince the people is that, yes, we've got the power to then give them a slap on the wrist. We're going to find them 100 million if they ever try and do it again. So all we've got to do is we do it again, but we move the comma from there, and we say, this team can come in, and this is now something new. So it's not the same thing. So there's no going to be there's going to be no fines. There's going to be nothing, and we've convinced the fans that they've done this. They've got power, and then after a while, when it all dies down, something else will come up. Well, certainly be interesting to see where it ends up, um, and we look forward to hearing what will eventually happen in terms of shakeups and where Celtic fit into that. Um, just to finish up, what's next for what's next for you, John, in terms of football, in terms of coaching, in terms of media, in terms of reality TV shows? What's next for you? Who knows? Who knows? Nothing's happening in coaching um, from a from a media perspective. I like I like working in the media, and I like doing what I do, talking about football, um, and and of course going on Sky and doing all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think they're a little bit scared because when I talk about football, it's fine, and if you want me to talk about football, fine. But then if you want to get into into politics or social issues, particularly race, I will not tell the party line that everything else is terrible and it's that young kid in Montenegro, um, which is the problem in racism, um, because I will tell them that they are equally as, as culpable, they're equally as guilty in maintaining the status quo as it is from a racial perspective, um, which they don't like to hear. So therefore, if they want me to get involved in football and talking about tactics and situations as we spoke about in the first 15 minutes, I'm happy to do that. But then if you then want to then move the subject on, I'm not the person for them. Because, of course, what you then have to do, like everybody else does, is point the finger at Serbia and Montenegro and say the problem with racism is over there, but here everything is fine, which I won't do. Mm. 
media side, reality TV shows, music career, anything right. happening there? The wheel. So, of course, I'm my age now, I'm, I'm a bit old for rapping, but who knows? I just take whatever comes to me these days. <laughs> well, we wish you the best of luck with whatever does come your way. John Barnes, thank you for joining us on A Celtic State of Mind. Thank you very much. Report. Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Social Podcast Network. Sports 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 Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.